Please be seated. Good morning. I am not the Reverend Zach Nian. <laughs> Yet again, I find myself in the interesting position of, of getting to preach uh, with little notice. Uh, because Zach uh, was headed back from the West Coast yesterday, and there was a lot of bad weather throughout the country, and all of his flights were canceled. And he's somewhere in the sky on the way back from Charlotte, so we wish him traveling mercies. And, um, you know, let's just take this as a positive. Uh, we, we thank him for the chance to have this experience yet again. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I have just been privy to uh, a very wonderful experience um, I was gone last week because I was about as far away as I could be from this place. I was in Cape Coast, Ghana. I went on a pilgrimage with the Diocese of Atlanta uh, to Ghana, and we've had an ongoing relationship with Bishop Victor Adabafo and uh, the Diocese of Ghana, um, Diocese of Cape Coast, Ghana. Um, we began this relationship a few years ago when Rob Wright, uh, Bishop Wright, and uh, Bishop Adabafo uh, became acquaintances and later developed a friendship in this work has been tied closely with the diocese effort in uh, being a part of the systemic dismantling of racism in our country. Um, just to give you an idea of, of the, some of the dramatic uh, things, the dramatic realities of this trip, uh, Ghana was one of the main disembarkation points, embarkation points for uh, people who were captured and kidnapped from their homes and forced into the slave trade. Um, and not only that, but Anglicans in Ghana were there because English people came to Ghana to buy and sell what they thought could buy and sell human beings. And so um, we had people from Ghana who were with us on this journey, many of whom had ancestors who either profited from the slave trade as local uh, Ghanaian Fonti tribesmen who gathered together as slave raiders and went out and captured people um, from neighboring lands. Um, and we had descendants of people who were slaves uh, who were freed. And then we had descendants of people who uh, thought they could buy and sell human beings, like some of my ancestors and probably some of yours. We visited... Um, the slave dungeons, and one of the main dungeons there uh, was meant to hold, this room was meant to hold about as many people are here this morning, and it was 20 by 15, and right over it was what? The chapel. Um, and it was a, a week just full of holy, holy moments, and I hope if you ever uh, feel called to go on pilgrimage to Africa, I hope that one of you will go on this trip um, to Ghana. Um, it's staggering the number of people who were uh, forced into this work um, and forced into uh, this life um, as a slave. Um, and, and one of the pleasures of this trip was that our Sunday time there, of course, we went to church and we all split into different groups. And I got dropped off with the last group, so I got to see every single parish church that they dropped them off at. And they were just this beautiful variety of places uh, full of people who were singing at the tops of their voices and just full of joy to be together. But it was a Sunday after Easter, and by canon law, um, they, were, they have their parish meetings. And the bishop was very apologetic of this, and they also elect their vestry. And um, 
It was funny because uh, it's the same meetings that we have. Uh, It's comforting to see that some things are same even when you fly uh, thousands of miles away. Um, It was funny uh, because there was, of course, uh, a man who stood up, and I later found out he was sort of a disaffected part of the congregation and who complained bitterly about all the typos and grammatical errors in the reports. Yes. Um, There was another man who stood up and, uh, of course, challenged the budget numbers. And it was funny because I turned to Grace Burton Edwards, who's a a priest from Columbus, and I said, you know, it's funny. um, The same people are here that were at our parish meeting sometime. (laughs) Although I don't really think we we had a lot of dissent in ours. But um, it was funny because... uh, they obsessed over the same things that we do in, in their official capacity, uh, many of which had to do with numbers. Uh, the, uh, it was funny because when, when uh, Bishop Kofi, uh, when uh, Father Kofi was reading his report, it was in, in sort of a, a, a pidgin language of a uh, mixture of, um, of Fonte and English, but it was mostly Fonte except when he got to numbers. So I'd hear him saying lots of Fonte words, then he'd say, 10,000. And then he'd say a lot of fancy words, and he'd say, uh, 1,500 people. Then he'd say fancy words, and he'd say, 36 days. And I could watch him, and I knew exactly what he was doing, was he was trying to quantify the good work that they had been doing together as a church. He was trying to state his case that um, this was a great year or a good year, or maybe he was trying to state his case it was kind of a bad year. But it was all about the numbers here, wasn't it? Um, and one thing that's interesting about this gospel today is that uh, when, when I read it, um, and incidentally, um, it kind of worked out because uh, I woke up at 4 a.m. fully awake um, with jet lag, um, and when I read the gospel again this morning, I, I, all these numbers jumped out at me, um, one of which was the number of people who were present. Um, there were five disciples that were named, and then there were two that were unnamed, and there was one uh, that was later called the disciple that loved Jesus, and then there's still one disciple that's left over, which is kind of interesting. This number seven uh, should stand out because nothing's accidental in the Gospels because that's, that's a perfect number. That's a holy number, especially in, in Hebraic numerology. You know, it's a very holy number. Um, there, there's another um, interesting number on the other end of this, and we'll get back to the seventh uh, disciple in a minute, um, is Jesus... Uh, there's so many interesting things in this gospel, too. Like, like, like why was Peter naked in the boats? <laughs> I still don't get that one. Puts his clothes on to jump in the water. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of weird. Uh, but then the other, the other thing that was interesting was that Jesus says to Peter um, three times, you know, do you love me? Um, which reminds me... Um, when I was a little boy one time, I'll never forget this, and this is still a joke with me and my dad, um, it was my job to feed the dogs. And I was uh, laying on the couch in the basement watching TV, um, and my dad opens the door and he says, Timmy, do you love me? And I said, yes, Dad. And he says, feed my dogs, and he shut the door. <laughs> Five minutes later, he comes back, Tim, do you love me? Yes, Dad, I love you. Then feed my dogs. And then he comes back a third time. He says, Tim, do you love me? And I said, yes, Dad. And he said, then feed my dogs or you're grounded. <laughs> Jesus says to him three times, do you love me? 
Um, it doesn't take a lot of imagination to get what's going on here. You know, Peter denies Jesus how many times? Three times. It's this great correspondence to that. It's almost as if Jesus is, is trying to get Peter, because uh, I would imagine that P- Peter in his place, every time he sees Jesus, he's reminded of this trauma. Um, he's, he's probably not exercising a lot of self-compassion. Um, he, he probably hates himself, really, for what he uh, did to Jesus. But three times Jesus says, do you love me? And he has to force Peter to confront himself with the fact that he did this horrible thing to Jesus. You know, the worst thing you can do to a friend, he was disloyal to him, yet he loves him. And that he loved Jesus when he did that in the midst of all uh, his flawedness, right? Um, Three times, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Uh, Tend my flock. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And Jesus gives these two verbs, feed and tend, when he asks Jesus this question three times, doesn't he? Now let's circle back to the, the seventh person in this story. Um, there's a great Jesuit practice for reading Scripture. And it is, uh, quite simply, read a short portion of Scripture and then become every single character in the Scripture, even the inan- inanimate objects in the Scripture, and read the Scripture from that person's perspective. Well, we might imagine ourselves to be the seventh person in this story. Um, Perhaps this is a way of inserting ourselves in this story, and this is also a way of being in this story in such a way that we are meant to pay careful attention to this exchange between Jesus and Peter. Because Jesus does what with Peter? He says, you know, Peter, you're my man. You're the church. Uh, Uh, Upon you, this rock, Peter, uh, I'll build my church. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. This flawed man who questioned his love for Jesus and had it reaffirmed three times because he betrayed Jesus three times was left with these two words, feed and tend. And I think that where this leaves us is that we as a church, just like the people in Ghana, just like people in every church, just like people in every gathering of human beings, but especially here in the West, you know, um, we want to look at the numbers. We want to uh, look at the attendance figures. We want, want to look at the average Sunday attendance at our budget. Um, we want to find some way of evaluating in a very concrete way whether or not we are being the church, whether or not we love Jesus, don't we? We have that human ten- tendency to move towards these very concrete things. Um, And Jesus doesn't ask Peter for concrete things. Jesus doesn't ask Peter to revisit how bad he was three times. Jesus doesn't um, ask Peter uh, to quote scripture or to prove his worth. He just gives him a mandate, feed, tend. And see, we as a church move into our future, we're confronted with a lot of uh, grim numbers, um, every once in a while, someone on Christian Post or Christianity Today or, or uh, one of the right-wing um, religious websites will, will really uh, trumpet the fact that what they call mainline denominations have attendance that is declining, um, which is true. But that doesn't necessarily mean um, that we are not feeding and tending. Uh, 
Um, and it's not something that we should really spend a lot of time hanging on to. Um, yes, maybe worry a little and use it as something to, to give us a chance to think about if we are feeding and tending. But, you know, perhaps it's time for the church to reform and become something that looks different. I don't know. It's done it many, many times in the last 2,000 years, and it's bound to do it again. But we're constantly told to look at these numbers when Jesus says to us, feed and tend. We can't quantify this love that Jesus gives us. We can't quantify this love that we are to have for Jesus. We can merely put it into action and give it flesh and bones. At the 1115 service today, um, we have two seniors that are going to preach. And I've known these two uh, folks since they were in elementary school. And this morning, um, after this service and during announcements, after this uh, homily and during announcements, we're going to bless any seniors in high school or college that are here today. And I've, I've been asked, since I was a youth worker here for a while, I've been asked, um, what was your measure of success as a youth worker? And I have friends who are youth workers from all over uh, the country who can point to great numbers. Like, you know, I had 350 kids in, this, in our gym every week singing. And that's great. You know, that's wonderful. Um, I can point to some good numbers, too, here. Um, but more than that, I don't know that the numbers are all that important because the thing that we should want for our high school seniors as they leave us, and, and for all of us who are a part of this church, is that when they go off to school and, and they, they take their uh, first philosophy of religion class and decide that they're probably atheists for a little while, you know, which we all do when we're in college, right? Um, I want them to say of their particular church, you know, I'm not sure about all that stuff that we believe. Um, I'm not sure about the particulars. I've got some doubts about different things. Um, I know my church wasn't perfect. Sometimes I didn't get along. You know, there was even people there that I didn't really like. But you know, you know, that church, that church, they loved me. They fed me. They tended to me as flawed and as varied as, and as imperfect as they were. And see, that's what Jesus is saying to Peter. That's what Jesus is saying to us. So we will be confronted with the numbers. We will be confronted with the number of times we betray Jesus and we stray from the path. Um, we will always have certain difficulties being together that are related to these things. But if we come back to feeding and tending, feeding people, really feeding people, giving them food, making sure no one is hungry, feeding people's souls, feeding their spirits, feeding their joy, tending to people, watching out for one another, chasing after the people who have strayed, the people who have not been here, um, missing folks who have gone from us, taking care of one another. Um, if we do that, we will always be God's church. And we will be able to do what Jesus says to Peter at the end of this really enigmatic and, and strange scene. Um, we will be able to go behind Jesus when he says, follow me.